Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries Podcast. You're about to listen to another message from Pastor Isaac Worley. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. The value of knowing Jesus. Like this song, I was just telling you, the song was just preparing us. Uh, I want to know you more. The value of knowing Jesus. Everything else falls in the background when you just care about knowing Jesus. And I think, uh, let me preface with this, okay, because some of you, y'all cradle Christians, it's all right, I grew up in church too, don't be offended, (laughs) we're in light company here. Uh, It's easy to be like, okay, going back to the basics, I'm zoning out, wake me up when you're done, Uh, because it's the basics. I've known them my whole life. Well, I I just want to um, encourage you, don't do that. You're never too mature to know the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and how he saved you on the cross. I told a story a few months back whenever I was preaching in one of the Sunday services um, about, you guys ever seen the movie Blindside? I think I've used the Blindside uh, and just different scenes in the Blindside probably more than any other movie in history in my different, I don't know why, it just, just fits. But uh, if there, there's that scene in there, right, where the, where the sister, if you guys know the movie, the sister like walks down the hall and hears her mother reading a, children's book to her um, uh, brother. And so she's just, she like is listening in. Her mom and her brother are in her brother's bedroom. He's about to go to sleep and her mom is reading this children's book to him. And it was the book that she used to be read to whenever she was little. And she listens in, but she feels too embarrassed to go. You can kind of like read the whole, like read her face, read the scene. And she's too embarrassed to go inside the room, cuddle up on the bed with them and hear the children's story that she always used to listen to because she felt like she was too old for that now. And so instead, she slides down the wall and sits in the hallway listening from afar. And I don't want that to be you and me when it comes to just hearing the story of Jesus Christ dying on the cross because we've always heard it for so long, it's embarrassing to admit that we still listen to the simple gospel that Jesus loves you. Let that not be us. Let's feel comfortable and confident in walking up and saying, I need to hear the simple message and uh, not zone out in it, uh, thinking that we might be too mature for it, because we certainly aren't. Let's read the uh, first, there it is, read the first few verses of Philippians. We're going uh, Philippians 3. Verses 1 through 11, okay? We're going to go 11 verses tonight and, uh, and hear what Paul has to say about valuing or the value of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Let's, let's read what he has to say here in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, finally, which again is really kind of funny because he's only halfway through the letter. <laughs> uh, little does he know as he's writing. He's like, so, all right, guys, finally, and then he just can't stop himself and he just keeps going, but uh, you can't erase back then, right? So finally, halfway through. It's like some of my sermons, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, finally, but then I'm only on point two. Uh, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for dogs, Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, that is like how well you live. I 
have more. I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to, if I were to put a title on this tonight, I want to call it How Much to Get Saved, God. It's kind of a weird title, right? How Much to Get Saved, God. How Much. I was listening to a friend tell a story the other uh, day. It was this past weekend and having dinner and she's telling us about her daughter and how her daughter is like this uh, mastermind negotiator. She's super cute, so she uses it to her advantage, right? You guys all know those little girls that, that just use their, their, their charm of cuteness. Um, and so she, she goes to this dollar store and she's only got a dollar to work with here. And she goes to the dollar store and she finds this opened package that used to be this pair of earmuffs and gloves. Well, the gloves are gone, and she loves the earmuffs. She loves the earmuffs. They're still there in the package, but it's opened up, and where the gloves used to be, they're gone. Only got a dollar to work with, and this package is like three or four bucks. So what's she do? Super cute. She takes the package, walks up to the uh, clerk at the desk, puts it on the desk, and says, how much for the gloves, or for the earmuffs? And the woman's like, well, the package is three, I don't remember what she said, like 350. And she goes, yes, but the gloves are gone. And I really just care about the earmuffs anyway. And so she's like talking to this woman. And finally the woman says, okay, how about 75 cents? And she says, I can do that. And so she gets these earmuffs. How much for the earmuffs? And she works through it. And I think when it comes to our salvation, I think that we feel like God can be swayed. That we can sway God. We say, how much to get saved, God? We don't actually say that, right? We would never say that and really try to negotiate with God, but we think in our minds that somehow how we live tips the balance of the salvation that we're holding on to. And so though we wouldn't actually intentionally or consciously ask God, how much, how much to get saved? Like, obviously we know that's not cool, right? It's trying to haggle with God, doesn't work. But in our minds, yet we're also still trying to tip the balance, how much to get saved, God? And we're thinking, we're working, we're balancing the equation in our mind. What does it take to keep God happy with me or to make God happy with me? I think it, it would um, lead to good Christians feeling excited, thinking that God loves them because how they're living, right? If you're, if you're feeling all right about your Christian walk right now, maybe you're super excited because you definitely know God loves you. You're asking this question, how much to get saved, God? Because you think that your actions have currency in buying salvation. 
Good Christians feel excited because God loves them. And on the other side of it, right, bad Christians, people that are really struggling, those of us who are struggling with the sin are kind of asking this question too because we're worried that God doesn't love us anymore because we're struggling with the sin that we're struggling with. You're striking with me? We're like that woman, that girl, not woman, she's like six, four, and she's like, how much for this? And we're not actually asking the question, how much for salvation? But man, we are, right? We're, we're asking, how much does it take? Where are we at? How, how am I doing so far? Am I, am I swaying you at all? Am I convincing you at all? Well, and what Paul was just reading, I think we can really summarize it pretty well in saying knowing Jesus is the only thing worth anything. If you're talking currency and buying salvation, if you're talking about getting uh, saved, right, quote unquote, getting saved, knowing Jesus is the only thing that has worth at all. Knowing Jesus is the only thing that has worth and it is worth everything. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Knowing Jesus is the only thing, meaning nothing else has worth. That's not to say that your family members, your love for them, your doing good deeds, your going to church, doesn't matter. No, 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 that, that's not what I'm saying. But when it comes to, quote unquote, ready? Getting saved? I don't like that term, but Jesus, knowing Jesus is the only thing in the game. Knowing Jesus is the only thing that has worth. It's not to say Jesus is a ticket to salvation. He certainly isn't. He is the prize of salvation, right? He is what we desire and strive for. But he is the only thing, only one, that has worth when it comes to our salvation. So let's look at scripture here. And as we do, um, like I said, this is going to be a simple message. I think it's going to be shorter than most. Um, but I want, I want you guys, I know, I know the crowd here, okay? I know the crowd here. And I can relate a lot to the crowd here. We grew up in church, many of us, and if you haven't, that's perfectly fine. And I think a lot of the times we weigh that question in our minds, how am I doing so far and keeping God happy? As we look at this text in Philippians tonight, can you be honest with yourself and you're just thinking, if you're just thinking about it, can you just be honest with yourself and, and considering what do you put your trust in? Is it knowing Jesus, period? That's it. You don't add to it. Just knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you put your trust in that when it comes to tipping the scales? Does God love me? Does God accept me? Am I, quote unquote, saved? Do you put your trust in? So simple. Knowing Jesus. Do you, do you stop there? Or knowing yourself, being honest with yourself, do you also throw in some, how you're doing right now in your salvation, in your, in your walk with God, how you're doing in your fight against sin. Do you also throw that in there when you're considering the scales? Does God love me? Does God accept me currently? What does God think about me? Be honest with yourself. What do you put worth in in that question? Does your actions have currency in it or does only Christ have an effect on God's love for you? Paul says here in the verse one, okay? We're jumping into this and we're gonna fly through 11 verses. He says, the very first verb he, he encouraged them to do. First command, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And this is, this whole idea of doing something in the Lord is like super popular with Paul in the book of Philippians. You can uh, go through it, make, have a fun little word study if you want. Um, but all through the book of Philippians, he says to have confidence in the Lord. He says to be hopeful in the Lord, to receive others in the Lord. He tells the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord. 
There's all these in the Lord's. He wants you to be in the Lord. And here, Philippians 3.1, this is the first of three times where he would tell them to rejoice in who? What? The Lord. Not your actions, not how well you've been doing, not to celebrate because you have done something so great. He says, no, 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 no. Rejoice. Why? Because the Lord. Rejoice in who? The Lord. Rejoice because Jesus Christ not in yourself, not in what you've done, not in how good you've been. Rejoice in the Lord. On your worst days, your saddest days, you should still have within yourself the ability to have profound joy, the ability to rejoice because of Christ. In him alone we have eternal life. In him alone, we have God's love for us. I want you to hear that. Man, I just want you to hear that because I know I heard that a lot in youth group growing up. Your actions don't affect your salvation. I don't know how many times I heard that. You're not saved by works, right? Oh my goodness. It's like, that's just like stamped on the walls of every church. You're not saved by works, saved by faith alone. But yet we still are plagued with the fear that God doesn't love us anymore because of the sin that we're still struggling with every single day, every time that we mess up with it. That whole saying that we hear every Sunday and the saying that we hear every Wednesday just seems to leave our minds and we feel like it doesn't apply to us, that we're not saved by works. We hear that, but then we go home and we're now worried because I just messed up again and God doesn't love me and I just want you to hear, please hear. The Lord... Jesus Christ on the cross has 100% effect on your salvation, God's love for you. Your actions have zero. Hear that? So important. Rejoice not in your actions. Rejoice in the Lord. And that's the first uh, command that he gives. The second one is look out. He says in verse 2, look out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So he's also saying, so yes, rejoice in the Lord, celebrate that he has saved you, be excited, be passionate that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he's given you new life. Rejoice in what Jesus has done. Celebrate in what he has made you, a new creation. Be excited about that. And I also just want you guys to know to, to look out for these other people, okay? And I, I need to tell you a little bit about these people that he's talking about, the dogs, the evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. These were quote-unquote, Judaizers, big word, fun word. And what that is, these were, these were some Christians that were actually Jews before, and they became Christians, Jewish Christians, okay? They have Israelite heritage, Israelite um, lineage. So they were Israelites, Jews, who became Christians, followers of Christ. These people have no Israelite um, heritage, these were what were called Gentiles, okay? And Israelites felt like they were the true blood of God's people, and they became Christians, and so they were coming to these Gentiles in Philippi, and they were saying, you need to do this. You are not saved until you do that. Specifically, they were encouraging them to um, be circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, talk to your parents. I'm not going to jump into that right now. But uh, it was important because it was a sign to the Israelites of being a part of God's chosen people, circumcision was. And so they were saying these, these Judaizers, Jewish Christians, were coming to these Gentile Christians, and they were saying, you need to do this. Add this action. If you're not doing this action, then you aren't saved. 
then you aren't truly a part of God's people. Then you don't have the true mark of being one of God's people. So you need to do this in order to be saved. Okay? You tracking with me? It's not just Jesus, you have to also be circumcised. It's not just Jesus, you also have to do this. If it's, it's not Jesus, you also have to follow the Levitical law. You have to do these things. It's not just Jesus. And Paul says, uh, look out for those guys. You keep rejoicing in what the Lord has done in your life. You keep rejoicing in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And that alone, look out for these little guys. Because these little guys were little like devils on their shoulders. You know what I'm talking about? Those little guys like whispering, like, you're not good enough. You know, like, I don't know what that voice was, but um, look out for these people, for we are the circumcision. So you don't have to have that little action. You don't have to have that sign. You are the sign that you're a part of God's people. Your life is the sign of being a part of God's people. Look out for those people. You rejoice in what the Lord has done. Look out for those people who are naysayers and thinking that you aren't because you aren't doing this or that action. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And here we go. Put no confidence in the flesh. I hope that's true for you and me tonight. As you think about how God loves you, I pray that you put no confidence in how you live, the actions that you make, that you solely put it in Christ Jesus. He says, look out for those people who are telling you that you have to do other things. And so Paul is saying, nothing at all, hear this, nothing at all will impress God in how you're living. And that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around because we really think that somehow we can impress God. Because we can impress other people, right? You can impress me with how good you do. And I can impress you. You can impress each other. All of us could impress Pastor Charlie, right? We can all do these impressive, godly acts and impress one another and be like, man, that person's godly. But hear me, God's not fooled. And any righteous act that you do is still like filthy rags to God and unimpressive compared to his holiness. That's hard to hear. Christ alone makes us acceptable before God. We have to hear that. Christ alone makes us acceptable before God. It's not your actions that make you acceptable to God. That's important. So Paul is telling them that. Rejoice in the Lord only. Don't listen to these other people that you have to do these certain things to make God love you. It's not true. Rejoice in Jesus alone. And he says, let me give you a personal example, okay? I will show you. I will show you. I'll prove it to you with my own life. That's what Paul says, okay? And this is what the rest of the text is. Paul proving that it's Christ alone that saves you, not at all your actions. And he's proving it with his own, action, with his own life, his own personal example. Okay, so he first shows how impressive he is in his religiosity, in his Christianity. This is what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So he's like, I do. I, 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 I am very impressive when it comes to doing all the things these Judaizers are telling you guys needed to do. I can do all that. I, I have been doing that. I'm really impressive. I've been following their list. He says, if anyone else thinks that he has more reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more And here he goes. He gives these credentials, these impressive things that might impress God in their minds. The first few are like his family heritage. These things that he was kind of just born into. He has no people um, that were like just 
born naturally gifted. They didn't do anything. They didn't ask for it. And they were just like, you know, like oh, I hate you. You know what I'm talking about? You shouldn't hate people, but like you feel it. Yeah. So my father-in-law, I don't hate him. Man, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have started with that. But, and then I'm like, let me tell you about my father-in-law. <laughs> no, but my father-in-law, he is naturally so gifted uh, when it comes to music. He's so musically gifted. And uh, we were just over the, uh, at their house for quite a long time this past, over Christmas break. And I just, I just loved, I honestly sat in their, like, their nice armchair, and I just sat there listening to him play the piano. And I could just tell him a song, like, hey, play this song. And he'd listen to it on my phone, and he'd just start playing on the piano. And I'm like, oh, I hate you. Like, like it's so amazing. It's so cool. I wish I was like that. When it comes to being a religious person, Paul was just born gifted. Look at, look at what he says here. He says, first of all, and he didn't even have to do anything to be impressive in these people's eyes. He didn't have to do anything. It says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So this is like before he even like had to do anything. First of all, his parents circumcised him, circumcised him on the eighth day. That's just because in the Levitical law, like the Old Testament law, uh, if you were like a really religious person, you would follow this rule, and the rule was to circumcise any males born and circumcise them on the eighth day. So it's showing, he's saying, I was born in a really godly family. They followed the rules. They did what you were supposed to do. They cared. He's like, I was circumcised on the eighth day like my parents were supposed to do. Um, I was of the people of Israel, so the chosen people of God. He has that bloodline, but specifically, not just the people of God, but the tribe of Benjamin, you're like, no way. The tribe of Benjamin? You serious? <laughs> the tribe of Benjamin was one of the Israelite tribes. It's like a specific group in Israel that stayed faithful to the king, David, whenever people were like challenging, like, no, David shouldn't be king. Someone else should be. And they're like, we're staying true to the Davidic line. We're, we're, we're really going to stay loyal to David. And so they were a loyal group of Israelites. They were the ones that they had this... Uh, they, they were where the temple was and um, they were just really renowned for like being a good uh, tribe in Israel. It's where the first king of Israel came from. Saul, you know what I'm talking about? Saul, he was a Benjaminite. Benjaminite. <laughs> he was. And so Paul, who used to be called Saul, probably named after the first king of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, Paul is saying, I was not only born in a family that circumcised me when they were supposed to circumcise me, and so they were really godly people, but I was of the bloodline of God's chosen people, more specifically, the ones that stayed faithful till the end. I was a true Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, I mean, as bloodlines go, the purest that you can get. So that's what he's saying. I didn't even have to work at that. I just got that reputation. I am impressive. But then it also comes to things that he did, right? So it says, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So not only did he have the family heritage that was really impressive, godly parents, godly lineage, but he also was a biblical scholar. Pharisees were like the most strict group of religious people there were, Okay. So he became, so he got into this like elite class of Israelites. So he worked hard. He became like a biblical scholar. These people like memorized the entire Old Testament. These people were smart. He became one of those people. And as to his passion, he wasn't just like this theologian who sat in his basement studying scripture all day. He went out and he was so passionate about his beliefs, he was persecuting, dragging out in the dirt people who disagreed with him. 
He was passionate, to say the least. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. So he was saying, I was moral. So let's get a summary here of all the things that make Paul impressive and will weigh it compared to you and me. Okay, you ready for this? First of all, recap. He, came, he comes from a religious, godly family, a lineage of godly people, not just like his parents, but ancestry, godly people, well known for how godly they were. That's first of all. Godly, religious, family heritage, incredible biblical knowledge, passionate about the church so much that he would persecute people that disagreed with him. He was that passionate. And fourth, he was extremely, extremely holy and moral to the point that he felt comfortable saying he was blameless when it comes to the 600-some rules in the Old Testament. He would say, I'm blameless when it comes to those. Family heritage, incredible biblical knowledge, memorizing the Old Testament, passionate about the church, holy and moral when it comes to all 600-some rules in the Old Testament. We'd say he's biblical, uh, uh, we'd say that he's quite a good Christian, right? How you holding up compared to Paul? <laughs> so he's saying, guys, when it comes to being impressive, trying to impress God, I've got everyone beat. He says that if anyone thinks that he has reason to be confident in the flesh, I promise you I have more. But look at what he says here afterwards. He shows his personal example how impressive he is to all other people looking, but he says, but whatever gain I had, all those religious uh, merits, all these badges of how great I am, of being so godly, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And this whole word rubbish, it's actually kind of like, um, well, it just gets awkward with translations because it's not just like this old English term, okay? Like people in England say, oh, rubbish. No, like it's a... <laughs> To be uh, not gross, it means dung. So um, you can look at all the other synonyms for dung. But uh, that's what it is. Feces, excrements. We'll just keep going. We'll leave it there. But that's what it means. Okay, so he's saying, I count all that junk as dung. Feces. That's what those things add up to. All those things compared to what? Compared to what? Boom sauce. Jesus. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count all of them as dung in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may know Christ. So I want you to hear this is kind of where everything's going here. Paul said, Rejoice. In Jesus. Other people are saying, no, 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 you need to do this and you need to do that. And Paul says, those people are dogs. They're evildoers. Don't listen to them. Look out for them. Ignore them. Rejoice in what Jesus has done because if you really needed to worry about how you're living and just rely on how you're living to make God impressed with you, let me tell you, I'm impressive. All the things I've done, let me list them. He lists them and he says, that is like feces compared to just Christ. 
Make it simple. It's Christ that makes you acceptable and pleasing before God. So hear this, okay? This might kind of be a, a punch in the gut. It doesn't matter if you never miss Sunday school, if you don't know Jesus, okay? It's all worthless if you don't know Jesus. Make you going. It doesn't matter if you've ever gotten baptized. It does nothing. If you don't know Jesus, it's worthless. It doesn't matter if you've ever said the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter if you've ever responded to an altar call or maybe a hundred of them. It doesn't matter if you've ever told your friends about Jesus, if you've led anyone to the gospel to become a Christian. It doesn't matter if you've done that. It doesn't matter if you have chapters of the Bible memorized. It doesn't matter if you're the one preaching this sermon. If you don't know Jesus, it's like dung. It's worthless. I count it all as loss. I count everything as loss. Count them all as rubbish. It doesn't matter. What matters is knowing Jesus. Having Jesus. Treasuring Jesus. Having a relationship. Walking with. Loving Jesus. Don't fool yourself in thinking because you go to Sunday school, because you got baptized, because you're talking about Jesus in the lunchroom, that you have impressed God and convinced him to love you more, that you're tipping the scale. You put all of that on the scale and you put Jesus over here, it's like that doesn't weigh anything. And Jesus is everything. This can be a a punch to the gut for those of us who have grown up in church and really worked hard on harnessing how good of Christians we can be. It can really hurt because we feel like we're pretty good. and We're impressive compared to our friends at school. I want you to hear me. Your religiosity is not anything of worth. You need to know Jesus and love Jesus, and treasure Jesus, and walk with Jesus, and make him the object of all your affections. If you don't have that, all those other things are worthless. Please don't fool yourself. Specifically, this is how he finishes, not just, you know, Jesus, yes. Specifically, he says to be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's saying, one, that you would be found in Jesus, that you would have this unity with Jesus, that he would pour his righteousness over you, that when God looks down on you, he's not looking at your actions, but he's looking at Christ in you, that you would be found in Christ. And two, that you may know him in the power of his resurrection may share in his suffering and becoming like in his death, that by any means possible you may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Would you be found in Jesus Christ and would you know the resurrection, the new life that is found in him? New life in him. Newness, new creation, new love, new passions in Christ. So as we're wrapping up here, This is for everybody, but specifically if you're a longtime Christian like me. I know many of you in this room are. I want you to hear this. Don't live your life trying to add to the gospel of how you can get God to love you or the gospel of how God loves you. Don't clutter the process. Don't clutter it. How does God love me? Don't clutter it. Don't clutter the answer. It's not you going to Sunday school. 
Don't tell yourself that. Don't clutter, the, don't clutter how God loves you. It's not you getting baptized. It's not you talking about him to your friends. It's not you praying one prayer and calling it good. It's not you going to the altar. It's Jesus Christ and making him Lord of your life and loving him. I hope you hear that because a lot of us can live our whole lives thinking because we're decent people and we never miss a Sunday school that we're good. And many people aren't because they think that's what they need and they're missing Jesus. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be you. All of that is worthless compared to Christ. So, would we think on that tonight? Would we dwell on that, meditate on it, and really pursue Christ? All those other things will come, by the way. It's not bad to go to Sunday school. It's not bad to talk about Christ to your friends. Obviously, that is so good to do. But do it in response to Jesus, not do it because you feel like you need to impress Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at ecchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.